We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the NBA Front Office Show. We've got a few topics to dive into on, on today's show, as always. We always do. But uh, today we've got one that particularly has annoyed me recently. We're going to talk about offense and whether or not it's gone too far, something the NBA is investigating. Before we get into it, though, um, I, I want to give a quick shout out here to uh, to our other uh, endeavor here being the Basketball Bulletin. We just hit a milestone in terms of uh, subscriptions, which is very, very cool. Keith, you and I both had uh, new pieces out today. So again, would encourage everybody, go check out, go check out the Basketball Bulletin. I'm going to put the link in the description down below. Uh, I've been, I continue to be blown away by the response that we've seen to uh, to our Substack, Keith. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, people are really tuning in. I, I, we get comments from people on you know the different things we've put up. It's been also cool. It's opened the door to do some collaborations with some other uh, sub stackers as well. Yep. I, I know I, I've done a couple now with Royce Webb, uh, who does the five by five uh, sub stack. He, he does stuff where he brings in uh, kind of people from all over uh, the NBA sub stack and get some words from them on different things. And, and it's all in short form. So it's uh, pretty quick in and out stuff. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it really has been. So once again, everybody go, go check it out. And uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of great content going out over there on Substack. I'll drop the uh, the link in the description for ours, but there's there's a bunch of people that are putting out some fantastic work over there. So once again, check out the Basketball Bulletin. All right, Keith, let's get into it. Before we get into my annoying topic for today, whoops, I went to the wrong logo there. Oh, yeah, that is annoying. You're right. I, I agree. <laughs> Very annoying. I knew you were going to have a comment about that. <laughs> uh, you know what? I almost did because on this, um, uh, on our, our video program here, I also have the Dodgers stuff loaded in for our Dodger blue guys. I, for a moment, right before you jumped on, I had the Dodger blue background up and didn't notice it. And I went, Oh shoot. I better change that. Otherwise <laughs> Keith, the Yankees fan is going to have something to say. about. And I would have commented. You knew, you know me too well. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming. All right. Uh, let, quick transaction that we had here. Uh, Poku winds up going to the Hornets. We were wondering where he would wind up after getting cut by the thunder. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, on the landing spot? Obviously a Hornets team that's not going anywhere. Will the minutes, the opportunity be there for him in Charlotte? Yeah, they might be. Uh, 
Davis Bertans was playing for them after they made the trade with the Thunder that Poku was not a part of, even though we speculated maybe he would have been. Uh, he ultimately wasn't. So Davis Bertans was. He was mm-hmm. the main salary matching component in that uh, Gordon Hayward trade, along with then a couple other guys were in there too. And he had he had been playing uh, the first couple games he was there. He got hurt, unfortunately, as a, a knee injury. Doesn't sound like it's anything too serious. So I think Poku is going to come in and probably get some minutes here for the Hornets and and get a chance to to play a little bit and that's you know that's really what he needs he he needs to be able to see minutes see what it looks like clearly like you said they're going nowhere so it's not gonna hurt them at all to play him and give him some minutes and see and maybe for them they find somebody who pops a little bit and my guess is this will just be a rest of the season contract but maybe Charlotte finds something in there where it's like you know, this kind of works. And if they go cap space or an exception or something next year, they, they could uh, bring him back and say, all right, we want to keep working with them. But this is the stuff you should do when you're a bad team is bring these guys in, just cycle through and see, see if one of them hits. Yeah. I mean, why not you bring yeah. them in, see if something works out. It doesn't hurt you at all. So you might as well bring them in and, uh, and give them a look. So yeah, no, no problems with that. We'll see if they find something here. That's exactly what, the Hornets need to be doing teams that are in this situation. Um, it, look, they may not be playing to win games right now, but they're playing to build out their future. So there are other moves that they need to make other things. They should be constantly working on. And here's the other thing I think we, we need to remember with situations like this, Keith, it's that while teams in this situation need to take flyers on guys, it rarely works out. I'm not saying it's not going to work out here with Poku, but it, it rarely works out in these situations. So if you're a fan of these teams, you try not to ride the roller coaster too much and, and get <laughs> too excited about a player coming in. But I'll tell you what, when it does work out, it's it's found gold, right? And it didn't yep. doesn't cost much to do. So you might as well give it a shot. You just have to understand that it's a it's a low risk, potentially medium reward move. And it's very rare that it pays off, but when it does. It can it can definitely help your team out in the rebuild process. Yeah, I always think about the Nets in their first kind of round oh, yeah. of rebuild after the trade with the Celtics. They did, I call it the diamond mining process, right? You just keep bringing guys in, keep bringing guys in, and then eventually they landed on Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie, who ended up be, being key rotation guys for them for several years. And Spencer Dinwiddie twice in, in two different runs uh, with the Nets. He, he was a, a key guy for them. So I, I have no issue with this for Charlotte. As, as long as you don't get silly and you start playing them over Brandon Miller and giving them Brandon Miller's minutes, and that's not going to be a thing that happens. So, yeah, I think this is, is a good move. I'll say this, too, one thing, because I know a lot of people are probably not really watching the Hornets right now. They have been playing Cody Martin as their primary offensive initiator at point guard. And he's been playing pretty well uh, for them in that role. He's done really a nice job of getting them into their stuff, handling the ball, setting the offense. And then Trey Mann uh, is starting as well. He came over also in the Thunder trade. He's been playing, but playing more off ball. And he's got the size to kind of do both. And you're starting to see, all right, maybe Trey Mann can be kind of a Terry Rozier-ish replacement as far as a combo guard that can play with and behind a LaMelo ball potentially. So mm-hmm. they, they, they're getting a lot of usage out of those guys, and they've, they've played pretty good basketball. Been a 
far more watchable team since the trade deadline with Graham Williams and Seth Curry and Vasily Misic and Mann and Bertans. Those guys have come in and really injected some new life into the, the Hornets, and then it's been good to see. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you – well, I think the flat flattened lottery odds take away some of the the pain that could come from suddenly winning some games late. Um, you, you don't have to worry about it quite as much. And if you can at least give your fans something to look at and say, hey, next season maybe we can take a step forward here because look at what we're doing right now, you know, that that can be definitely a positive. I'm, I'm pulling up the stats at the moment. looks like the Hornets right now have the fourth worst record in the NBA – uh, they have a half a game lead on the Blazers. So there is that to keep an eye on, I guess. They could drop to the the fifth worst record, but I don't think they're catching San Antonio, who has a four and a half game, again, lead uh, over the, the Hornets. So they're not moving up any further or down. Uh, up is down, down is up they, when, we're, <laughs> when we're looking at this. Um, but I, I guess they do have to be a little bit concerned there about the Blazers are potentially passing them. But again, the lottery odds being flattened out, that helps to mitigate you know, too much of the concern here. Yeah, and we're not in a spot where it's like got to be in the top two, three, five yeah. of a draft class this year. It's not that kind of draft class. They're, they're, there's going to be good players that emerge, and, and it's starting to round into form, and people are starting to like the class a little bit better uh, than, than they had been. But it's uh, – it isn't one where I think people are like, oh man, we got to be, you know, here. This is where the draft falls off. We haven't hit that point of that. Maybe that comes later on in the draft cycle. We'll, we'll get there, I'm sure. But for now, we're in a spot where it's kind of fine for teams to just play it out. You know, play, play it out the rest of the way. I mean, in Detroit, they've been playing a, a little more. A little better, I guess, is the best way to put that. But Washington, just, I mean, they've been god-awful. San Antonio's not playing very well right now outside of Wembenyama. And Portland's been uh, losing games. And Portland's incredibly banged up. So, yeah, I think if you're Charlotte, you just kind of play, see what you got for, for the rest of the year and, and let it go. You're, you're not going to win so much that all of a sudden you're picking like 7th or 8th or ninth, sure. unless, unless the lottery completely goes sideways and a whole bunch of teams in the back part of the lottery jump up. All right. Speaking of the draft and potentially the ladder, the lottery, Zach Eady is going to be leaving Purdue. He's seven foot four inch center averaging almost 24 points, 12 boards and 2.2 blocks per game for Purdue. Uh, so this is, I mean, we kind of expected this. I'll admit I am not deep into my draft prep at this point. Um, we're too early in the year for that. For me, anyway, I know you have spent some time preparing for the for the draft already, Keith. Uh, is this? Do you think he's a lottery lock? The mocks that I've looked at, he seems to be kind of borderline here. Yeah, I don't think he's a lottery lock by any means. I, I think he's going to be a mid to like. We'll just leave it as a mid first rounder, somewhere in the range of. 10 to 20, I think is where he goes. Maybe outside the lottery, maybe just in the back half of the lottery, something like that. He's He is huge. He's absolutely massive. And you are seeing teams still have success with kind of the drop coverage schemes and all that. And, mm -hmm. and I had somebody suggest to me, a scout just the other day, that said there's no reason he can't have a Walker-Kessler-like impact. He's not quite as quick as Kessler. Kessler moves very quickly uh, for a pretty big guy, but but Edie's got a little bit better touch around the rim. He's got a really nice scoring game inside. So he it's just 
he doesn't step out and shoot the ball. He's much more of a very old school type center that is get him down in the block. He's going to play mostly in the paint, but we're seeing some teams have a lot of success with that. And I will say he's got nice enough touch in and around the paint. I think eventually he could extend his range out to 15, 16 feet, and then maybe out to the three-point line, uh, kind of like Brooke Lopez did much later as his career went along. I don't necessarily expect that to be how it'll go, but that certainly could be a thing. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good player. And why this is somewhat notable, he was the National Player of the Year last year. He's going to be the National Player of the Year again this year, um, barring something really unexpected. And that's already an accomplishment. Winning it twice is huge. And then uh, – because of the COVID impacted year, he could have taken a fifth year and stayed right. at, at Purdue or even gone and done a postgrad year at another school. But it sounds like everybody's agreed. Hey, he's going to do his four years at Purdue and call it good and go. And then the next place you may actually see him after Purdue is he could potentially be on the Canadian national team. He's Canadian. Oh. So, so he, he could be a part of their national team this summer at the Olympics. We'll, we'll see what that looks like. Okay. So there's something to keep an eye on. Maybe uh, we get, a bit more of a look at him uh, if he does play and, and whatever team drafts. Of course, the draft will have be you know long gone by that point. So whatever team drafts him, we may get a little bit of a sneak preview. Uh, if Which he does may mean he may not Canada. be in summer league. <laughs> like, True. If he is playing in the Olympics, they 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 could say, hey, uh, skip bottom. That's right. He's probably going to be an either or. Uh, With for summer league reason. getting pushed back this year, but it was pushed back in part to help with because the Olympics, of the Olympics the qualifiers. qualifiers. Yeah, but so they have those qualifying games. Then it'll basically it'll run, and then it runs. I think almost right direct into the start of the Olympics. I'm pretty Look, sure you're right. Make sure, the summer league I know is the 12th to the 22nd. I believe the Olympics. It, it, I want to say Olympics start 26, 27, something like that. Let's see, the 27th. Okay. All right, it might be like opening ceremonies, maybe like 26, but Olympic basketball starts on the 27th. Okay. So, yeah, so guys, maybe a game or two at the beginning, but probably not because they'll probably be with teams doing training camps and uh, friendlies, exhibitions, whatever it is leading up to the Olympics if they're with their national team. And that doesn't impact a whole lot of guys because generally rookies and first, second, third year guys are not playing for their national team. But right. the handful of who are who are international players may be. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Those guys that are that are these international players, he, he could be playing there. So. All right, um, let's jump into something. This is a little bit ironic because I actually wrote about this for the Basketball Bulletin today. I did this, you know, you and I, we like to every once in a while vent. We do the grumpy old men <laughs> yelling at clouds thing. And uh, and so I did a little piece for the Basketball Bulletin about things I don't like. You know, I, I just kind of rattled off a few things that bother me about the NBA. And a lot of it wound up being very, rules oriented in terms of how we officiate the game and how we officiate offense and my frustrations with that. And now today there's a story that coming out from ESPN that uh, according to Joe Dumars, the NBA is indeed taking a look at, have we gone too far in terms of rewarding offense? We saw the disaster that was the all-star game. Adam Silver, clearly he couldn't hide how displeased he was at what happened in the all-star game. We're seeing guys routinely put up, crazy scoring nights you had four guys in the span of less than a week it breaks 60 points uh players are talking about this and so the nba is going to take a look and see do we need to stop protecting offense so much encouraging offense i suppose maybe is the better word and start 
giving defenses some some leeway here. Stop trying to nerf defenses and allow them to go back to doing some of the things that defenses do. I'm I do think we've probably gone a step too far. And I get it. I know high scoring is exciting and all of that, but you hit a point where high scoring at the complete expense of defense, where defenses are almost non-existent, which is what we saw in the All-Star game, no defense makes a game boring, right? Just watching a team score over and over and over again, that's not that exciting. So I do think we've gone a bit too far, and I hope that there are some adjustments made here this summer that uh, will maybe tweak things a little, not a lot, but just tweak things a little bit uh, for next season. Yeah, to where I'm coming from with this is I do not care a bit about anything that happened in the All-Star game. It sure. doesn't matter to me. I, I don't care if the All-Star game ends up being a the first team to 300 wins. I, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't, I, I just, I can't get worked up over a game that means absolutely nothing. In the regular season, we have seen offenses has exploded this year. There's no other way to put it. The, the, um, the, uh, average offensive rating uh, for the NBA this year is 115.8. Uh, Last season, 114.8. We jumped back 10 years ago. It was 106.7. So we're up a point from a year ago. And we're up nine points. Um, and you want to use offensive rating versus points per game because offensive rating normalizes everything. It takes out pace. Number of possessions. So that's why why we use that stat versus points per game because points per game can get a little wonky because, for example, average pace this year is, which is the estimated number of possessions per team uh, in a 48-minute game, 99.1. A year ago, 99.1, so it stayed relatively even. Ten years ago, 93.9. So we've got five more possessions per team. On top of that, Guys shoot it better than ever. They shoot more three-pointers than they've ever shot. So you add all that up, you're going to see scoring go up. To that effect, yeah, I do think defense has been hamstrung a little bit. I think we have tilted the, the rules a little too much to the offense. It does bother me when people say nobody plays defense because I think people miss the fact that the offenses are just that good. It's the same kind of story in football in baseball mm -hmm. offense is just almost always ahead of defense because just that's people, people want to see more scoring. And I know you are going to get the old heads are like, I liked the nineties when it was 75 <laughs> it to 70 and it was close games <laughs> and all that stuff, which I mean, right. fine, maybe you did, but like, I don't know. I go back and watch those ga games. I they're difficult to watch as a kid. Yeah. Like the Knicks, the Knicks in the nineties started, Patrick Ewing, Charles Smith, and Charles Oakley. So a center and two power forwards. And the first guy off the bench was another power forward in Anthony Mason. So they would start those three guys with one shooter in John Starks on the floor. And you would see there'd be every possession, there'd be seven or eight guys around the paint. Yep. So it was like, it, it was a wonder anybody ever scored in those games. And I get it. They, they shot more mid-rangers. They didn't shoot as many threes and all the things. Free throws were also way, way up at mm -hmm. that point. Teams didn't shoot free throws quite as well. They shoot, shoot free throws better now uh, than ever. So all those things are in a spot where they're all going to lean. But, yeah, I'm fine if we do some adjustments to make it a little easier uh, for, for defenders to kind of do things. I, I think they've, they have they went too far into where we're going to really punish the flopping for calls stuff 
on offense, and then they never did. Like, like we saw like yeah. two of those offensive technicals called all year, I think, and then never saw another one. I talked so about like, that in the piece for yeah, the basketball that, bulletin. Yeah. And that's yeah. it's the same thing every year, though, Keith. We see this. They come in with these, okay, this is going to be a point of emphasis this year, and they start out that way, but by midway through the season, it's gone, and everything's back to the way it was. Yep. Yeah. Now, all right, so here's a couple other things, and I don't want to go too super huge in numbers here because this sure. is a is a podcast medium and, and we didn't prep and have stuff we could even pull up here on the YouTube show. But if we look at some of the numbers this season through through their their uh 57 games played, the Celtics have the number one offense. I'm not cherry picking it because it's the Celtics. That's no, just it's, that's just a fact. Yeah. They're they're at 122.2 um offensive rating, which is that's like a historic level. Um, good. They are playing great. Last year's number one offensive team was the Sacramento Kings at 119.4. So even if we're like, all right, well, maybe Boston's just fluky. Well, Boston was second last year at 118. Now, what's interesting is the Celtics defensive rating has basically been about the same. They're they're 111.7 this year. They're 111.5 a year ago. So kind of pretty similar there. Then you go over to 10 years ago. The number one offensive rating belonged to the LA Clippers. So that would have been the peak of like Lob, Lob City, City Clippers mm-hmm. and all that at 112.1. That 112.1 offensive rating would see them ranked 25th this season. Good Lord. So yeah, it, it just gives you a sense of where it's at. The worst team that year, 99.4 process sixers. So even if we kind of say, I throw that one out because they were, trying to be terrible sure um and i think that was the first like couple years right of the process stuff uh let's go to orlando orlando was 101.7 so only a couple points ahead of that terrible sixers team and then the chicago bulls who went 48 and 34 had an offensive rating of 102.5 so it just kind of gives you a sense of like even that team that was Yo, a good team that year wouldn't score points like like they do now. It's just, it really is remarkable where this is all at uh, with this stuff and how how much up the offense is. And it's funny because like free throw rates aren't up. What is way up is the three-point attempt rate. Average three-point attempt rate. So three, that's the three-point attempt rate is a percentage of field goal attempts from three-point range. 39.2 this year. Last year, 39.7, so so about 0.5 up. 10 years ago, tw- uh, 25.9. So we're up uh, almost 14%. Well, and and you see it, offenses are now scheming threes into their yeah. into their mix. Like, like yep. for example, my, my Lakers, it got out very early in the season that they would often overhelp into the paint, much to our chagrin, and they would give up open threes. You started to see teams on purpose – have a guy half-heartedly drive into the paint, waiting for the extra defender to come to kick out because they're trying to get the three, right? They're hunting for threes. We're seeing more and more teams do that. But uh, Keith, I've, I've got a couple of points here on, on what you're saying. And, and number one is, I think part of this is a, a generational shift, right? When we talk about 10 years ago, right? We talk about roughly a generation of players. You're now seeing a group that has grown up shooting the three at a higher volume. And so you're seeing that impact hit the NBA now. Um, And and so that's become a thing. Now 
it's more of a rarity to, for a guy to be like Zach Eady to be more the traditional back to the basket big. A lot of even bigs now can shoot the three because that's the way they can stay out on the floor. Um, so I think that's part of it. Just a natural shift, a, a generational shift that we've been seeing over time. Now the NBA has been flooded with guys who came up in, an, in a basketball world that shoots the three more. And so that is now taking effect in the NBA. But And so part of that, I think, is, is you have to allow defenses to defend a bit more vigorously. I, it drives me crazy when I see guys fall down shooting jump shots, trying to drop like we're flopping on 20 foot jumpers now. Like that's how generous we become to offensive players. But the other point that I need to make on this, Keith, is look at how NBA players now struggle in the Olympics. Are we doing them a disservice because they're so used to playing this way? Suddenly they get to Olympic play and they they don't look nearly as good. I think part of it is the ball. Part of it is new teammates. But part of it, too, is they're used to the NBA being officiated a certain way. And you go and you're almost playing a different game, a different sport when you're going and playing Olympic basketball. That's officiated so differently. And I think it, it takes away some of the competitive advantage that you would see from the from the American players, the guys who are playing in the NBA a lot. They struggle to adjust a bit more to that Olympic game, particularly the guys who grew up playing in the U.S. and didn't grow up playing the the European style of basketball, which we see more and more in the Olympics. So I, I do wonder if that if a shift at the NBA level, not that it would change anything for the summer, but a shift in the way the NBA officiates the game years down the road could also pay dividends on the world stage when we start talking about Team USA. Yeah, it certainly could. I, you know, I'd have to dig deeper into it, but I think there's something to what you're saying. We've seen guys, especially in these international competitions, the first handful of games, they will be griping a lot with the officials because they feel like there's contact that's mm -hmm. allowed that they they just aren't used to being allowed. So that's certainly certainly true. It's it's funny. Um, just like one other stat, like free throw rate. Uh, the average league average right now, 25.2. Um, that's the uh, uh, percentage of free throws per field goal attempt or a number of free throws per, per, per field goal attempt. Uh, mm -hmm. Last year, 26.6, so down a little bit. But from 10 years ago, 28.4, so down significantly uh, for, from there. It, it's just we're just seeing the game has evolved more to – outside shots like we're yeah. seeing is is those go up and i get what you're saying the flopping on jump shots but the reality is there's way less contact on the vast majority of jumpers not the guys don't flop for them that is definitely true they definitely yeah. do that but if, if you're shooting more three-pointers the other thing i think that's different too is we now have a full generation of players who shooting off the dribble three-pointers is just the thing you do now right that used to be that was pretty rare. That was that was get your butt on the bench. Yeah, or it was like there was maybe one or two guys per team that uh -huh. that were allowed to do that, and that might only be like, hey, we're in desperation mode, we're going to do yeah. that. Otherwise, it was everything was catch and shoot or spot up threes. So, I mean, right? We both grew up on this league where it was one of the most deadly plays to guard was Reggie Miller running through a maze of screens to get a catch and shoot three. Like, mm -hmm. and that only happened seven times at most in a game like that, that it worked like, and he actually got the three off. It, it was, you know, just very, very rare. Like I, I remember, you know, when it was like a huge deal that 10, 10 made three pointers was like the record 
of, you know, no, no one will ever make this many three pointers in a game again. And it's like, now we get guys that no, I'm not going to say it happens nightly, but like pretty regularly guys are pushing those numbers. So yeah, it's just if the game's played faster, there's more possessions, mm-hmm. more of the shots are three pointers, more points are going to be scored. And I'll also say this too, for the crowd that says nobody plays defense, the guy, the players are just better now than they ever were at creating and making shots. Like it just, yeah. you, you only need to go back and look at the field goal percentages. Yo, I mean, it's just, that's just the reality. And it's not, and it's not that, that they played all that great a defense guys just bricked open shots more often back in the day. Cause it wasn't, it just, it just wasn't a thing that you did as much. You, you weren't as focused on the skill development and the shooting. And that's something now every single player comes in with a high level of. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Well, and when I talk about the the jump shots, I'm more looking at how favorable the officiating has become towards the offensive players, sure. and that's and that, you know the landing space that like you can't be close to a shooter now, and that's creating you know foul calls, um, and so that's why you've got guys that are that are flopping on these. But in general, yeah, the offensive players are just better; um, they're getting better and better. And what you got to be careful of, and this is a complaint that I've heard from uh, a lot of fans, is that it feels a, this nostalgia is a powerful thing. And sometimes it can change the the way that we look at the past to a high degree. You talk about going back, people look back in the nineties. Oh, wasn't that great? And then you go back and you watch one of those games and you're like, Oh wait, <laughs> you know, I, like, like the other day I, 
I was all excited about showing my daughter the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original, the cartoon from back in the day, right? And I put it on and I went, this is awful. Like, what? <laughs> why was, Why did I love this so much? Um, uh, even she well, was you like, watch one of those old games and they're so grainy and it's like, this is exactly used to watch TV. Like, right? Boy, this is brutal. <laughs> right. And so sometimes that can change our, our perception of things when we're, when we're looking at things through that, through that lens. Um, but you got to be careful with the, with this, with the NBA that you don't shift things too far here, that you don't shift things so far in favor of, of the offense that you create a game that's just, that's not competitive. Uh, and so I don't think they need to go back to like nineties rules or anything like that, but you do need to free up defenses a little bit. And I do think you're right. I think people just go, Oh, well, the scoring's high because defenses don't, you know, nobody plays defense anymore. I would have to imagine, I don't have this stat in front of me, but I would have to imagine the distance traveled by players on the court today is is much higher than it would have been yeah, 10 is. years ago. Yeah, it's, I've seen the studies on it. it it's, it's through the yeah. roof because, uh, again, defenses are getting more spread out and guys are having to chase more. But I think one of the things you have to be careful with here is, and again, I've heard this complaint from a lot of fans, that NBA offenses have become very... Uh, cookie cutter is the wrong word, but very similar, right? A lot of yeah, teams. Homogenous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. High, high pick and roll, get into the paint. If the defense collapses, you kick out to the corner shooter, rinse and repeat, right? Everybody's kind of running the same stuff compared to back in the day. It felt like, oh, Houston's going to run the twin towers. They're going to try this approach. Other teams. That, that's why, you know, the Suns got ridiculed when they decided to play small and put Amari Stoudemire at the five and then it worked and everybody went, Oh my gosh, this actually is, is going to work out. But it felt like there were more diverse play styles back in the day where team by team, you'd be seeing a different uh, approach to the game. Whereas today I feel like there's a lot of similarity between how teams attack. And if you get really good at that one thing, then you're going to have success and everybody kind of does the same stuff. So I do wonder if some shifts defensively, would also allow for a bit more diversity on the offensive end in terms of how teams decide to attack those defenses. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's something to to that as well. And and just to your point, the the, the first year Steve Nash won uh, the the MVP, mm -hmm. uh, and everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, this this team plays this ridiculously fast paced style." Their pace that year was ninety five point nine. That would rank them. Yeah, I thought this was. Amazing. I know it's, it's bad. It's low. It's so low. Yeah, dead, dead last, last right? Dead in last. The, this year. the, the yep. team. This that's the seven seconds or less revolutionized the game, changed the way we look at basketball. Team, they'd be the slowest team in the NBA right yeah. now. Slowest team in the league, which is just unbelievable. Gives you a sense of how much the game is sped up. A couple other things too, and this is where I think some of the not being allowed to hand check, not being as mm -hmm. physical on the perimeter shows up. Uh, teams turn it over less than ever uh, now. The turnovers are down uh, over the past decade, almost a full turnover per game, um, which is just it, that adds up, right? It's mm -hmm. all these, you, you, all these, there's no like one, right? Everybody wants to go to the three pointers. And I do think that is the single biggest factor because that also swings games in such a way where oh, yeah. if one team is hot and another team can't make them. It's going to be a blow. That's just that's the reality yeah. of the league now is, you know, if you come out and you're, you hit 23 pointers and the other team makes seven, it, it's almost impossible to make up that. That's a 39 point difference 
that you have to make up somewhere else. And it's just that that's almost impossible unless it's completely you shot 60 free throws and they shot 20, you know, or they even shot 10. But I think so that is the single biggest factor. But then you add in all the other things. We play faster now. There's less turnovers. All that stuff gets added up. And that's how we ended up in this spot where it's now regularly 120 point games are going on the board every single night because because you you've got all these little factors added in there. So that that becomes like a like a whole part of it too. I I think I would like to see them allow a little more physicality on the perimeter. I think the players ultimately would like to see that too. And I think the other mm-hmm. thing that happens when we see that is the true star players shine even more because they're the ones like the Michael Jordans. You mm-hmm. could put Michael Jordan in any era of basketball and he would be incredible. I mean, I, I just laugh. If you put him in the 50s, they probably be like, well, you're a center and that's what it's going to be. And like, that's it, right? And be like, Get in the okay. post. <laughs> right, yeah. So like, who knows what he would have developed into. But if you took Michael Jordan from his era and just dropped him in the 50s and said, one, I think the officials would be like, we don't know how to officiate this. So he'd be getting yeah. called for all sorts of weird stuff. But if he could normalize everything else, he'd be awesome. He'd be awesome today. Mm-hmm. He'd be great. Kobe would be great in any era. Kevin Garnett would be dominant. Also, I think guys like Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain would be incredible in okay. area, any era. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, they would be great in oh, any Imagine era. if you drop Shaq in today's NBA. Yeah. What would happen? Yep. I mean, yeah. any of these guys, right? Yeah. They'd be great, even, even with the three-point shots. That's it. So the truly best of the best, I believe, would be great in any era. And that's where I think if you did let defense be a little bit more physical, a little bit more hands-on, kind of like what we see in the playoffs, right? In the playoffs – the very best stars shine the brightest because they can play through it. They can figure out ways to counterattack and ways to get through all the, mm-hmm. all the stuff and that they, they, they shine no matter what. So I, I, I do think I wouldn't mind seeing them just loosen it a little bit. Let them be a little more physical, especially on the perimeter with ball handlers, let them get up into guys, really push them really, you know, bang hit hard, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, I, I think that would be okay, and I think the players would adjust to it. Yeah, I, I think they would as well. Um, I, I I dislike it's the the flopping on jumpers that gets me, and then the other thing this it for me it's been my pet peeve all the way since Tony Parker is uh, is guards that little guards that run into guys. Um, <laughs> it, it's the especially now we're seeing one right around the elbow. A lot of a lot of the smaller players will veer to the to the into the paint, take a quick step into the paint to run into somebody step back and shoot and get a call on that. I'd like to see that go away. Like a little thing like that would go a long way towards um, towards fixing it. Again, there's a, a threat of overcorrection where you create other problems through that. So you got to be careful that whatever you do, you don't go too far with it. But I do think some tweaks need to be made. Uh, last thing, do you think uh, Alan Iverson the other day uh, on a podcast with Shaq said – Something I don't remember the exact number. I believe he said he would average, I want to say 42, somewhere at like yeah, low 40s like points in, in, in today's NBA. Uh, do you agree that he'd no. be more effective? He's talking about the space that he would have to operate in, in today's league and that he would be able to score even easier than he did during his heyday. I, I think he would score, but I think saying things like that is just that, that becomes nonsense. 
Yeah, like, he's, he's talking about adding 10 points per game to his Yeah, total. nobody scores like that. Like that's just not a not a thing, right? Like that's the 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 kind of I I guess the crazy thing to say is like no nobody did that, right? Like like that's the I I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it, but like like that's Will Chamberlain did it. Like no no one else sure. is like scoring 40 plus points per game. Like I just pulled up the scoring leaders from every year in NBA history. So we had Wilt at 50 in 61, 62. That's the famous year, right? Where he played more than 48 minutes per game. Yeah. He scored the hundred points. The next year he's at 44.8. No one else has even touched. I don't know. Other than we find MJ's. Yeah. Nobody else has touched 35 other than MJ once was at 37 and once was at 34.98 points per game. I like, yeah, you, you weren't like, it, it's, it's easy for him to say that, but sure. I think he'd score easier, but like, you're, you're not scoring, yo, you're, you're not raising what was his, his, he averaged 31 points per game. Two of the years he won the scoring title and third, basically 31 the third time he won a scoring title. Mm-hmm. You're going to score 12 more points per game? No, not happening. Like, I just yeah. don't see it. I mean, like, Kobe hit 35 in the 05-06 season. And, like, these guys are, are great scorers. You can question. Yeah, I'm there, sorry. I did miss that Kobe one. Are, are there are there scorers? James Harden was at 36 one. one year. Right. And so there's guys who have done it, but are there score Like, in today's NBA, are there scorers at that level? Um. I mean, there's a few guys who could score, though. Is there that dominant guard scorer that just nobody can stop? Maybe not in, in today's game. Yeah, I mean, Luka, well, Luka's yeah, Luca. we call Luca a guard, but he's a, he's a big guard. He scores in a yeah. different way. But Luca's probably the closest to it. But I guess there's no... Like, Allen Iverson is a freak athlete. He's a next-level, I mean, unworldly athlete and maybe we don't have that so i I wouldn't disagree that he'll score a little bit more in in today's game sure but i do think that yeah probably going that far is discrediting crediting defenses a little bit too much um and today like here's what would happen because you see defenses that that do this and, and are so much better at it it's they send the double and then they wall off the rest of the floor with three guys. And so you force the ball out of a guy like Iverson's hands. And then who's he passing to? Eric Snow, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's how you would attack. Defenses would adjust, I think, as much as you want to say, oh, there's tons of space to operate. Well, would, de- would depend on the team around Iverson, too. If he had his 76ers teams, you can guarantee that while AI would get plenty of shots off, he would have a lot of teams just throwing everything at him defensively. And, their defenses are pretty smart today too, in terms of how they approach that. Yeah. And he wasn't a good shooter too. That's the other thing. Now we can flip it and say, if you gave him, if Allen Iverson was coming up now with his full skill set plus had practice shooting, but then there's only so many hours in a day. Had he practiced more in his shot, would his ball handling have been as special as it was like that? That's part of what it was like. It might, my lifetime watching, it's been like him and Kyrie were the two best ball handling guards in Isaiah Thomas. I mean, it's like the Pistons, Isaiah Thomas. I love the, the the other one that played for the Celtics too, but the Pistons one. Those were the three best ball handlers of they're going to get to their spot wherever they need to get to with whatever dribble package they need to do to get there. Like those guys were just absolute wizards with the ball in their hands. And it like, 
would he have been that special? Because would he have been some of the time he spent as a ball handler? Would he have spent that time learning how to shoot better or mm-hmm. you know, something? Who knows, right? The, now, now we're living in hypothetical land. But yeah, I think sure. it's I I think saying any of these guys who say I'd score X amount of points, like it no no one has done those things other than Wilt. Like there's a reason why like all the Wilt records look like they're just ridiculous and not real. Cause like that's what it feels like, right? Like he oh, yeah. he was completely a different player than anybody else in the league at the time he played for the vast majority of, of his career. And it's so yeah, so you turn that into yeah, all right, you know, are we really gonna start believing everybody could do this? Because I've seen people say MJ and Kobe would average 50. They they probably wouldn't. Like I I mean, is there a world where they could? Yeah, sure. If they never passed and you know took every shot, like yeah, I sure I, I don't doubt it, but I, I just you know, I don't I don't know. Like and and I get the whole well, it's because you know, five of their mid-rangers would have become three-pointers and yeah. all those other things that come there. Well, I mean, maybe, I guess, but you know, those guys were okay three-point shooters at points in their career, but neither one of them was ever like the lockdown dead-eye three-point shooter. And he would have taken away what made their game special otherwise, right? Which was that mid-range, nobody could touch them, you know, on the pull-up jump shot or the fadeaway. So I it just becomes very, very hard. But the things that are comparable. Yeah, offense is up. Like it's way, way mm-hmm. up. And and I get it for the people who are like, I don't like it. I what I don't like about it is it creates too many blowouts. Like that's the yeah. one thing I don't like. Now on the flip side, the way teams shoot three pointers feels like teams are never really out of a game. You can like, come back. You could be down 20 at the start of the fourth, and you can you know you, you hit four three pointers in a row to begin the quarter, you're all of a sudden you're right back in the game. So like that that part of it, I'm like, all right, that part I don't actually. Just like, but yeah, we get a lot. I, I'd be interested in seeing that if we're getting a lot more blowout games uh, on a regular basis, because it does feel like some nights it's like, good lord, like every one of these games was was a disaster. But and then you look, and it's almost always, yeah, one team made a whole bunch of three pointers, and the yep. other team didn't. One team shot fifty percent from three, the other shot twenty five percent, and the game's over. Right, and that's. Yeah. That's and they hit you 50% you on 10 attempts. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're shooting 50% on, on 35 attempts yeah. or 40 yeah. attempts or whatever, like that, yeah. you know, that changes everything. Yeah. All right, well, this wound up being a, a kind of winding, meandering conversation about uh, about offensive production and, and all of that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed just going down I want to hear people's and, thoughts in the comments. Yeah. Like, please let us know what you think in the comments because I'm, I'm curious to know. I, I think... I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I think people watch the show. They're they're a, a heightened level of fan, right? I, I think uh-huh. they're really into it. I don't think you're the most casual fans out there. So I'm very curious to hear you know some discourse in the comments on what you think about about the offensive explosion. Do you like it? Dislike it? You know what? And what would you change? You know to to yeah. make it different. Yeah, drop that over on the the YouTube channel in the comments section, and then uh, over on the podcast side, if you guys wouldn't mind giving us that five star rating and review. We'd certainly appreciate it. All right, everybody. We will be back tomorrow with all the latest around the NBA. Till then, everybody. See ya and stay safe. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.